0: So the passage this week is from Acts 26, um, the entire chapter. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defence. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defence against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country, and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that I conformed to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise our twelve tribes are hoping to see fulfilled, as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of those journeys I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions we all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified, sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day, so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and is the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice, because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, Short time or long? I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. The king rose, and with him the governor and Bernice, and those sitting with them. After they left the room, they began saying to one another, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar.
1: Thank you, Lockie. Good morning, everyone. My name's Matt, if we haven't met before. Happy long weekend. Thanks for joining us. What is it tomorrow? I think it's Labor Day tomorrow, isn't it? Happy Labor Day. How very exciting. Uh, You've joined us this morning. uh, As I think Lauren said at the start, uh, we're doing a series at the moment called A Church on Mission. Uh, And we're in our last week of a four-week series thinking about mission at the moment and looking at um, some stories from the Book of Acts. Uh, Really what we've been talking about is the question of uh, why Christians evangelise. Evangelise is kind of a fancy way of saying why do we tell people about Jesus and why do we kind of want other people to become Christians too? Why do we evangelise? Why is that something we're on about? Uh, and we think it's worth talking about this because uh, the truth is, being on mission can actually be quite difficult. It can sometimes involve some pain, it can create awkwardness, it can uh, not go so well sometimes, and that can sometimes make us want to stop. Uh, as we've been saying the past few weeks, it's a little bit like, um, see if this works. It's a little bit like being a cyclist in the Tour de France, or, that's just in case Port lost on, the, on Thursday, I was going to talk about the Tour de France, but we can talk about footy finals, uh, or, or playing, playing a footy final. Uh, playing footy, uh, riding in a cycling race, it can be really hard, you can uh, feel a little, a little bit of pain, uh, you get towards the end and your muscles are aching, you've taken some hard hits, you kind of just want to stop. Uh, and if you want to keep going and win the race, or you want to keep going or win the, and win the match, or you. Uh, want to keep going with Christian mission, actually, uh, you need to know what your motivations are. You need to really know why you're doing it so that when things get hard, you can push through that pain barrier and keep on going. I was watching the game on Thursday night and uh, after the game had finished, I think one of the commentators said, I think it was Nick Riewoldt, I think he said, you know, as commentators, we talk about the tactics, we talk about all sorts of things, but at the end of the day, a lot of these games just come down to who wants it more, uh, who's got the motivation who's willing to uh, go in for those tough balls, uh, who's really got the motivation. Let me show you for a second uh, what we've looked at the last few weeks as we've talked about um, what it takes to push through that pain barrier and keep going on with Christian mission. Uh, what, what motivates us to do mission as Christians? Well, uh, for the first thing, we're convinced uh, by the truth of what we believe. That's the thing we talked about for the first week. I'll also be motivated to be on mission if we're confident that God through his spirit will act. I think we'll also be motivated to be on at mission about mission if we're conscious of the spiritual realities, if we're conscious of what's at stake. Uh, and so for our fourth and final week, I was kind of thinking uh, a few weeks ago, I was thinking hard, is there anything else we need? Uh, if we're convinced by the truth of what we believe, if we're confident that God's going to act, if we're aware of the stakes, uh, is that enough? Is there anything else that can kind of stop us pushing through that pain and stop us being on about mission? I wonder if anything else comes to mind for you, if there's maybe another blockage towards being on mission as Christians. I think Uh, For me, perhaps one more obvious one is that uh, we do need the practical skills, I think we do need the practical skills, we do need to feel like we know what we're doing, Uh, and so we will talk relatively practically today, although I think to some degree the practical skills are in in some ways the easy bit, Um, and if you've got ideas on particular practical skills you think it would be good to to be trained in or to learn about, Um, we really uh, like trying to uh, train people for mission and they're good things to talk about, so do let us know and Um, On our website, there's a communication card link and you can always fill that in if you've got feedback or ideas for us. Uh, But the other thing I reckon we kind of need is, it's kind of simple, but I think we just need some courage. I think we kind of just need some guts. If we're going to be on about mission, uh, we need to be courageous to take opportunities. Uh, When you're playing footy, uh, when when you've gone in to get the ball again and again and again and you're battered and bruised, uh, it takes some guts to keep going hard for the ball and push through that pain barrier Again and again. If we're going to keep going with Christian mission, we definitely need a little bit of courage. And so we're going to have a look at one more story from the life of the Apostle Paul, the story that uh, Lockie's just read out for us. And I, I love this story because, uh, as Cameron talked about in the kids' talk, in our passage today, Paul is certainly uh, gutsy. He's certainly gutsy. He's on trial, he gets a chance to speak in front of the king himself, and he's not for a second intimidated. It's a great example of courage and boldness. Uh, so let me show you where we're going to go, and then, we'll, um, and then we'll get into it. So you go. I've got a few points for you. Uh, first, we'll get into our passage, and I've got three points as we do that. Uh, number one, bold endurance. Number two, bold storytelling. And number three, bold challenge. Uh, and then after we've done that, I've got two more points, which I think are a bit more practical. Uh, how do we be on the lookout for opportunities, and how do we cultivate boldness? So first, let's jump into our passage, Paul and the King, and we'll talk about Paul's bold endurance. Uh, So first, uh, Cameron's explained it quite well for us in the kids' talk, but let me give you a bit of background to why Paul was on trial and what's going on. Uh, If you were with us the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about Paul, and we joined him uh, when he was out on what's called his second missionary journey. So he was in Greece and uh, ancient Turkey. Uh, what happens is that at the end of that journey, he comes back uh, to Israel into the city of Jerusalem. And it's, it's quite a bold move because uh, being a former Jewish leader who's now a Christian missionary, he's not a popular guy in Jerusalem. Uh, so he comes to Jerusalem and lots of people try and kill him. The authorities decide to arrest him, partly because that'll actually protect him. And he actually had this whole chunk of the book of Acts, kind of the, the last third almost. A lot of it deals with uh, what happens with Paul while he's under arrest, After coming back to Jerusalem. Uh, After a little while they move him out of Jerusalem because they think he'll be safer in Caesarea but he's left to rot uh, in a jail cell for a couple of years so it's actually a long time passes. He's sitting in jail for a couple of years. The whole thing it's a little bit like actually the story of Jesus at Easter uh, when Jesus was on trial because the Roman authorities they kind of know that Paul hasn't done anything wrong. They they don't really want to punish him or put him to death or anything but they also know that the Jewish leaders do want him dead and they kind of in this rock and a hard place. They want to keep the Jewish leaders happy, um, but they also kind of want to do the right thing. So their solution is they just stick Paul in jail for a couple of years and forget about him and maybe something else will come along to solve the problem. Um, Here's what I want us to notice about Paul, though. First of all, just his courage in going back to Jerusalem. It's a bold move to go back to Jerusalem, even though he knows how dangerous it's going to be. And then secondly, sitting in that jail cell for a couple of years, I suspect Paul probably actually could have pretty easily chosen to compromise. he. It, it's not like he would have even had to have denied Christ. There were plenty of Christians in Jerusalem, actually, uh, that no one cared about, but it's the wanting to convert others to Christianity that's actually the thing that's offensive. Paul's going around converting people all over the place to Christianity. And actually, if you think about it, it's not so different to how it is today, is it? You can be a Christian. I don't really think many people have a problem with people being Christians, but it's When you want other people to become Christian, that's uh, when you might experience a little bit more pain. I think that was true then and it's true now. If you're going to be a Christian on mission, uh, there is a good chance you will suffer. There will be some pain. But Paul, he's bold. He knows what he believes is true. He knows that the Holy Spirit's with him. He knows what's on the line with mission. uh, So he doesn't stop. Although he does sit in a jail cell day after day for two years, he endures. You think a COVID lockdown is bad. He waits in that jail cell waiting to see what God's going to do. Takes some guts, doesn't it? He's, He's bold. He waits for his opportunity and finally he gets it. The king, King Agrippa, comes to visit Festus, who's the governor. Festus, the governor, decides to take the opportunity to get Paul's case heard. Someone else to take the blame, maybe, if things go the wrong way. And so Paul gets his chance. In comes the governor, in comes the king. You can kind of imagine the colour, the pomp, the ceremony. And after some opening remarks, Acts 26, verse 1, the king says to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Paul's finally got his opportunity. And what an opportunity it is. On to our second point, bold storytelling. Paul gets his chance to tell his story, and uh, boy, does he tell his story. What? What story does Paul tell, tell? Well, verse 4, he says, I, I grew up here. I, I, people know me from when I was a child. Uh, and verse 5, and I, I was a perfect Jew, a, Jew a, a Pharisee, strictly observing the Jewish laws. And verse 9, I actually used to be anti-Christian. I, I used to put Christians in prison. And when we voted on whether or not those Christians would be put to death, I voted against them. But then, verse 12, something changed. He was on the road to Damascus. And he met the risen Jesus, saw Jesus with his own eyes, and it changed everything. And Paul says, so now I preach about the risen Jesus. I call people to repent, and the, the Jews don't like it, but it actually all lines up with their Old Testament. It's a pretty courageous speech, isn't it? Particularly when you remember that Paul's on trial, you kind of expect him to be a bit, you know, defensive or apologetic, or you know, actually try and defend himself. But he takes his opportunity to boldly tell the story of how Jesus has changed his life. Stories can be a powerful way of communicating, can't they? And of course, Paul's story is pretty dramatic. You know, killing Christians to seeing the risen Jesus, uh, to sharing the gospel all over the world, it's quite a big change. But we all have a story, don't we? We all have an answer to that question of why I'm a Christian if we are Christians. And we're going to have another interview after the sermon this morning and hear another uh, person's story of why they're a Christian. Uh, And a lot of our stories probably aren't, that I saw the risen Jesus on a road as I was walking. Uh, But it might be I saw all the brokenness in the world and I felt like the Bible gives me an understanding of why things are the way they are and, and gives me hope that one day things will be better. That's why I'm a Christian. Or it might be I found it really hard to believe at first, but once I looked carefully through the evidence and thought about it, I slowly became convinced that might be the story. What's, what's your story if you're a Christian? We're unlikely to get an opportunity like Paul's when we're called before a court and asked to tell everyone why we're Christians, but we do want to be ready to share our stories when opportunities come. So Paul's boldly endured his imprisonment. When he gets his chance, he gets up and boldly tells his story. Uh, for our third point, he makes a bold challenge. So in verse 24, the governor is getting so worked up when he hears Paul's story that he actually jumps up and interrupts. He says, you're out of your uh, mind, Paul. Your great learning is driving you insane. Uh, But this only makes Paul bolder. The governor's the one who's interrupted him, but he turns straight to the king himself and he says, I'm not insane. Actually, the king knows what I'm talking about. None of this has escaped his notice. Paul knows, I think, that actually the king... Um, he rules in the northern part of Israel. He's, he's been around Galilee, where Jesus did most of his ministry. And if you read the Gospels, the, the stories of Jesus' life, the, uh, the biographies of Jesus' life, Jesus heals many, many people. There's a whole list of miracles that Jesus uh, performs. And Paul knows very well that King Agrippa, being a ruler of Galilee, uh, it would not have escaped King Agrippa's attention. He would have heard the rumors, he would have heard the stories. A great healer, a great miracle worker, went down to Jerusalem and was killed, maybe rose from the dead. And so Paul addresses the king himself and says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? Because I know that you do. I doubt the king would have been used to being addressed quite as directly as that. Certainly a bold move, isn't it? Do you think, the king says, that in such a short time, Paul, you can convince me to become a Christian? And what a response Paul gives, verse 29. Short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but everyone listening to me today, governor, the servants, the people serving drinks over there, everyone would become what I am. I think for many of us, it's um, perhaps actually not such a big deal that people know we're Christian. It's relatively easy. Uh, Someone asks you what you did on the weekend, and you said, oh, I went to church, enjoyed it. I don't know if you'd agree with this, but from my experience, I reckon 99% of the time, people don't really feel too bothered by the fact that you're a Christian. Um, they're not really too put out by that idea. Um, for me, that moment often comes, being a pastor, uh, when people ask me what I do for a living and say, oh, I'm a Christian pastor, work at a church. And people might be occasionally a little bit awkward when I say something like that, but generally, after a second, they say something like, oh, oh that's really great, Matt. So glad that you can help people. So glad that you enjoy doing that. Uh, But Where boldness comes in, I reckon, is when we get those opportunities to challenge people. Can we take our opportunity to say something a little bit like what Paul says here, uh, perhaps say something that's a little bit harder for people to sidestep? I don't know what I could say. Actually, I do what I do because Jesus rose from the dead. And if he didn't, well, I'm not actually doing something great. I'm wasting my life. And if I did, well, that has implications not just for me, but for you as well. Never used that as a one-liner, but uh, maybe I should give it a go and see how it goes sometime. Paul's had his opportunity and he took it boldly, didn't he? Let's now try and kind of ground this in the year 2020, about 2,000 years later. Uh, How do we look for opportunities to share the gospel, to challenge people? And how do we cultivate boldness so that when we get those opportunities, we're actually Oh, we've got the guts to take them. A couple of things to say about each of these points. Uh, first, on the lookout for opportunities. I, I think this is true. If we're sharing our lives with people who don't know Jesus, I think we will get opportunities. If we're sharing our lives with people who don't know Jesus, we will get opportunities. Uh, but we do need to actually be on the lookout for them because we're probably not going to get an opportunity like Paul's where it's really obvious, where you know, we're hauled before a king, asked to explain why we follow, why we follow Jesus. Actually, opportunities might look totally different to that. Actually, sometimes I think we have a really narrow idea about what an opportunity might look like. But uh, let me give you some different examples of things that I think are opportunities that we might come across. How about, how about this? Um, imagine you're in one of our growth groups, uh, and one week someone new joins the group. And it turns out they don't know heaps about Jesus. Uh, they, they have some questions. It's actually It's an opportunity. I don't know what you could do. Maybe you could offer to meet separately with that person, you know, maybe one morning a week and uh, read the Bible and chat more about their questions. Or what else? Maybe you have a friend from work and you've worked together for a little while and you kind of know each other and an after-work drinks on a Friday night, they tell you something. They tell you that, uh, actually, they had a sister die last year and it's still been a really hard thing to deal with. It's a, it's an opportunity. It's an invitation to take that relationship that you have to a deeper level and talk about something real, something beyond the superficial. I don't know what you could do. You could you could have a great conversation and maybe, maybe Jesus and uh, the gospel doesn't even come up, but uh, what could that deeper relationship lead to a little way down the track? Maybe you could talk about how family is really important, but actually you find great hope in belonging to Jesus and his people. I don't know, maybe you're talking to another mum after church and you're talking about local Play groups, and you both realise that you'd like to join a playgroup uh, it's, it's an opportunity You know, you, you could actually Why don't you decide to join the same one And, and join one with lots of other mums who aren't necessarily Christians And then perhaps before you go each week You could just meet up for ten minutes to pray For the other mums and for opportunities to chat Perhaps you're at school and school holidays are over And your friend tells you that um, They feel like the church only ever hurts people It's an opportunity and you know what, maybe the right thing to do when someone says something like that is to debate them and, and try and win the debate and tell them that actually you know, the church does a whole lot of good even though we've certainly got uh, bad things that we've done in our past as well. But uh, maybe actually the opportunity is just an opportunity to listen. Uh, just ask questions and uh, actually really show that person that you want to hear what they have to say and hear what they're feeling and uh, actually really show that you care about that person more than you care about winning an argument. It's an opportunity I really do think if we're sharing our lives with people, the opportunities will come, Uh, but we do need to be looking for them. We do have to realise that they might not uh, look how we expect them to look because most people aren't just going to come up to us and ask us to explain the gospel. Of course, that is where we want to get to with people, but often I think we'll only get to that opportunity if we're willing to take the more subtle opportunities along the way opportunities. One more thing to say about this is that we want to take opportunities just as individuals, but we also actually want to be looking for opportunities as a church. We want to be a church that's on mission. That's what we've called this series. Uh, And I just want to show you this for a minute. If you're around last year, we um, talked about this towards the end of the year, uh, our mission strategy. Here we go. Unfortunately, the way 2020 has gone, things like strategy um, don't really exist anymore, but here's the idea. Uh, We've got five levels here. Culture, contact, connect, consider, challenge. I mean, we want everyone to be challenged by the claims of Jesus, that last one there, level, level four. Uh, we want to take our opportunities and challenge people with the gospel and call on people to repent and turn to Christ. In some ways, that's what it's all about. And so we want to do things like maybe run events or courses which will challenge people, reading a Bible with our friends and uh, calling on them to respond Uh, But if it's true that there are lots of opportunities that just aren't actually at that high level yet, we also need to do different things as well. We need to think about how to engage people at uh, maybe level three, which we call consider, where where we might ask people to uh, consider the Bible, but we maybe don't have that direct sort of challenge there. Uh, It's good to think about if there are any opportunities at level two, connect, where we might um, give a Christian perspective on an issue or talk about something a bit more meaningful, but uh, we're not necessarily explaining the gospel or calling on people to uh, respond. It might be just a good way to create some deeper relationships. And sometimes we might find that the right opportunities for us to take are just uh, what we might call a a level one contact because uh, we just want to get in contact with people and just meet them and welcome them in and uh, just let them know that we're here uh, and give them a chance uh, to find out more. And of course, none of this will work unless we have a healthy church culture underlying all this, which is why we put that as uh, level zero. And that's why we Preach about this sort of stuff. Talk about this sort of stuff. We want to have a healthy church culture, underlying it all. We want to work out how to be a church that's looking for opportunities, and we know that often those opportunities uh, actually have to start down at maybe you know level one or two, not just uh, jumping straight to the maybe evangelistic course at level five, uh, level four. It is sorry, the fifth level. Uh, We want to be looking for opportunities as individuals. We we do want to be looking for opportunities at the church as well, and hopefully as things get back to normal next year, um, you know, we'll be able to do some different events or think of some different ways which we can engage with people at some of these different levels. And when opportunities come, we want to be bold uh, like Paul. We want to take that extra question. We want to take that risk. We want to have the courage to go for it when an opportunity comes up to speak to someone. So one last point to make before we finish, and that's cultivating boldness. How, how can we actually have the guts when our friend gives us an opening? How do we get that courage to say something, to ask that extra question? And I, I just want to ask one question from our passage, and that's where does Paul's boldness come from? Where does Paul's boldness come from? Cameron talks about in the kids' talk how he knows that he's got eternity ahead of him. Paul was thrown in prison For two years, he was hauled before the governor, hauled before the king. I think he probably could have found a way to get out of it. He could have compromised. He could have begged the king for help. But he's bold, isn't he? He boldly confronts even the king and tells him he wants the king to become a Christian. If he wants the king to like him, it's probably not exactly the best way to go about it, is it? Where does Paul's courage come from? Well... Think about it this way. Why would, Paul, why would Paul care at all about the opinion of the king when he knows that he has the backing of the king of the universe? Why would Paul care, all, care at all about the opinion of this actually relatively minor uh, and pathetic king? You know, Caesar could come and remove him at any time. When he has God, the king of the universe, on his side, God could remove Caesar at any time. Of course, we can ask the same question of ourselves, can't we? If we trust in Jesus and belong to him, then God, the king of the universe, is on our side. He's our father. We are his children. So I think if we want to be courageous, we need to think about whose opinion matters. Whose opinion matters? The friends who maybe might mock you a bit for being a Christian or... the the opinion of that person who the relationship might get a bit awkward if you decide to challenge them on something? Or do you care about the opinion of your father, the opinion of the God who rules this universe? When it comes to keeping on going with Christian mission, when it comes to pushing through that pain barrier, taking some hits, if you want the courage to keep going, I think we need to remember this. If we belong to Jesus, we know where we stand with the God of the universe will be with him forever. If we belong to Jesus, we know uh, that he loves us and that we belong to him. And I think if you know that, taking a little risk with a friend when it comes up isn't such a big deal, is it? Let me pray for us, and then we're going to hear one more person's story. our dear Father God, you are the king, the king of the world, the king of the universe, and we thank you that you have brought us through Jesus to be part of your people. Help that truth to give us courage. Help us to be courageous like Paul, who stood up and boldly proclaimed the gospel even when his life was on the line. Help us to look for our own opportunities. Help us to look for all sorts of different little opportunities. Help us to do that as individuals, but also as your church. Help us to be a church on mission. Help us to bring glory to Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.